bless you. We're so thankful that you have chosen to be with us this morning. I will invite your attention to the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, beginning with the first verse. I'm going to read a few verses of Scripture, verses 1 through 4. Then we will skip down to the 14th verse of Hebrews, chapter 7. And we'll read to the verse, the 17th verse. Hebrews, chapter 7. And verse number one, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation. Everybody say first. First being by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that. Everybody say after that. After that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Verse number 14, for it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And I'd like to speak to you today on this subject the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Could you lift your voice with me and ask God's blessing upon the preaching of his word. Lord, I thank you for your people and I thank you for your word. Your spirit is alive and well and moving amongst us. I pray today that as your word goes forth, that it will accomplish that whereto it is sent. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name to feel after you and to find you, to know you. God, I pray that your word would be clear to us and help us to to understand you in a deeper and a better way. God, I pray that the life-changing power of the Word of God would move deeply among us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Now, it is a, a, a well-known um, imperative in preaching that you should do your level best to make things simple. And so I have, in the spirit of simplicity, chosen to speak to you today on the order of Melchizedek. <laughs> I say that tongue-in-cheek because simplicity and the order of Melchizedek don't always go together in, in, in that sequence. And so I... In the spirit of simplicity, it is also true that it is a good thing to make complex things simple. And Melchizedek may better be described as a complex thing of the scriptures. Uh, and I hope by the help of God we could make some things about it simple, but, but not necessarily trying to exegete or be expert on the matter of Melchizedek, but there is a truth here that I want us to understand. In fact, there are many beautiful principles of truth concerning this man. So 
you'll allow me, I'd like just to take a look at this man, Melchizedek, because the word itself, the name itself, as soon as a scholar or student of the scriptures hears that word immediately, they think of a mysterious man in the word of God, Melchizedek. I have often joked when somebody has invited me to say something for 10 or 15 minutes and said, just if you could just take 10 or 15 minutes here and say something, I'll say, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get that Melchizedek uh, exegesis into that 10 or 15 minutes, but I'll give it my best shot. And, and the, the, the joke of that is that it's a complicated subject because this man carries enormous weight in Scripture. And yet only three books of the Bible reference him and the entire activity, biblical activity of his life spans only three verses in the Bible. And they are found in the book of Genesis chapter 14. The part of the scriptures that has the most to say about Melchizedek though is not in the Old Testament but in the New and it is only the writer of Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews, who speaks of this man. And he speaks of this man extensively. Speaks of him at length. And, and so I want to point out a few things about him. And the first thing I'd like to just point out is what we read in our, our passage of Scripture that we chose as a text this morning. And it, it simply is this. Let's consider how great this man was. That's the first thing I'd like us to do. Just let's consider just how great this man was. In those three verses of Scripture in the Old Testament, in that small synopsis of his life, we discovered that he was a great man. In fact, he was so great a man that the patriarch Abraham gave tithe unto him. Some have said that tithing is under the law. It's something that was done under the law. It's not something that extends into the New Testament, but that is incorrect. Yes, it is true that it was a practice done under the law, but it was not originated in the law. The law picked it up because it is a divine principle, the blessing that is involved with the tithe. Tithe predates the law significantly, particularly in this instance of Melchizedek and Abraham. Abraham demonstrates to all of us just how great this man was by giving tithe of all he had unto, unto Melchizedek. Now, that's significant because Abraham carries such significance himself in the word of the Lord. Now, the Bible says a lot about Abraham, a lot. And Jesus talked about Abraham. Paul talked about Abraham. The, the, the apostles spoke of Abraham, and, and all throughout the scriptures, Abraham is discussed. God many times introduced himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But as great as Abraham was, he paid tithe to Melchizedek. The father of the faithful Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek. The friend of God Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek. And the writer of Hebrews takes this, this point, this note of interest, 
and, and expounds upon it to help us understand, as he said, let's consider how great this man was, that Abraham paid tithe of all to this man, Melchizedek. So first of all, I want us to understand this was a great man. The second thing we need to understand is that this was a man, a great man. And I say that because those who have debated who he is and his role in the scriptures, many have even wondered if he was God. Manifest in human form, walking the earth as a man, which would make him a theophany and a manifestation of God. And, and, and the reason that they would ask this question is because the writer of Hebrews explains to us that, that there, it uses this terminology without mother, without father, without descent. And scholars and students have often looked at those words and thought maybe he was expressing that there is no origination to him, and so he must have been God manifest in the flesh. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to suggest that we have no way to say that that was the case because this, this reality of him being suggested as having no father or mother or descent is not necessarily saying that he did not have a father or mother, but more a suggestion that, that there is no record of his father or his mother or descent. So, so the scriptures do not take the time to illustrate that he had a father, and that is unusual. And this brings me to my second thing, second point of interest concerning Melchizedek, because Melchizedek, a great Man, how great he was, we see through Abraham paying tithe to him, but we also see that he was a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ. Now, what do I mean by a type and a shadow? I mean a forerunner to Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Hebrews calls him, a forerunner. And that Jesus Christ was made in the similitude or similar to this man Melchizedek. He was a glimpse of Christ. So Melchizedek's life, this great man, emerges and, and takes up only three verses of Scripture for him to accomplish his whole role in the Bible. And from that role in the Bible, we walk away and everybody's debating, was that God that emerged in those three verses? Was that, was that a manifestation of, of Elohim in human flesh? What, what, what did we just look at? Because Abraham paid tithe unto him and he blessed Abraham. And the Bible calls him the king of righteousness and the king of peace and the priest of the most high God. And the Bible says he brought bread and wine to Abraham. Now I'm going to stop here and just tell you that was the first glimpse we have of Melchizedek showing Abraham a picture of Jesus Christ. Just emerging in the narrative of Abraham's life, he was a priest of the Most High God. This is a significant truth about him, that he was a priest of the Most High God, because most of the people in those days worshipped many gods. They worshipped pantheons and plethora of deities, but Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God. So Abraham was oneness, and Melchizedek was oneness. Hallelujah. Now, now, I want you to understand that's significant because this is pre-Mosaic law. This is pre-Abraham. Before, before Abraham even understood all of that, there's a priest named Melchizedek. 
And he comes to Abraham and he brings to him bread and wine. And here we see a glimpse of Christ. Melchizedek is showing Abraham a picture of Jesus Christ by bringing bread and wine. This is the same type of bread and the same type of wine that Jesus used at the Last Supper with his disciples when he said, take and eat this bread. This is my body which is broken for you. And take this cup and drink this cup this is my blood which was shed for you. And I want you to know that every time we gather together in communion and we partake of the unleavened bread and we drink of the cup, we do it in remembrance of what Jesus did upon the cross. Amen. That unleavened bread that we partake of describes that obedient pure, righteous, and holy, physical man, Christ Jesus, who was God manifest in the flesh. And as we partake of that bread, it is a reminder to us that that innocent man took our sins upon himself. And when we receive that cup and drink that cup, it is a reminder to us that it was the blood of that innocent man that was shed. And because of that, your sins and mine are washed away because of the penalty he received. But I rise to tell you that we do it in remembrance of what Jesus had done. But Melchizedek and Abraham were taking the same bread and the same cup in expectation of what Jesus was going to do. It was the same communion. It exemplified the same body. It demonstrated the same blood. But it was from a different vantage point in history. Everything in our world is created to, to surround the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as Melchizedek approaches Abraham, he brings an example of the body of Christ and an example of the blood of Christ. And Abraham sees on full display the redemptive message of the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to know this is why he wasn't afraid to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah. The Bible said that he by faith took him and offered him as a sacrifice, but was willing to do it, never had to do it, but was willing to do it because he accounted that God was able to raise him up from the dead. From whence also he received him in a figure. That's Hebrews 11. Abraham understood the totality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why he obeyed God and left his father's house and went looking for a city that hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. This wasn't just blind faith. This was faith that understood who Jesus is and what the Messiah will do. That's why Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. I want you to know it didn't surprise Abraham when there was a ram rustling in the thicket. 
ready to take the place of Isaac, his son. Melchizedek had already prepared him for every struggle he would face in life. That all of it is going to revolve around a broken body and shed blood for your redemption. Hallelujah. Ah, oh, yes, he exemplified Jesus Christ. And when he exemplifies Jesus Christ, we understand that not only did he do it in the concept of communion, bread and wine, but he also did it in the context of his own self fulfilling two roles that nobody but Jesus can fulfill. The role of king and the role of priest. Nobody but Jesus can be both king and priest. God intentionally separated those roles, compartmentalized them and said, the king has to be the king and the priest has to be the priest. The reason he did this in the law was because of the fact he wanted it to be clearly understood that when there arose a man who would be both king and priest, this was a special kind of man. Hallelujah. Uzziah tried to be the priest while he was king and offered the offerings of the priest upon the altar of incense. And when he tried to offer those offerings, the Bible says that the priests, 80 priests walked in and ordered him out. He resisted them. It was a constitutional crisis in that great book of the Bible. And he, he resisted them. But the Bible says that a leprosy grew in his forehead as the Lord smote him for his arrogance. You cannot be king and priest. Only one can be king and priest. This is why when Saul offered the sacrifices of the priest, not waiting for Samuel to do so. Samuel was on his way, but he was taking too long. And Saul offered those sacrifices himself as the first king of Israel. And when Samuel arrived, he said, what are you thinking? What are you doing? You're stepping into a role that doesn't belong to you. Only one can fulfill both of these roles, king and priest. And his name is Jesus his name isn't Saul. His name isn't Uzziah. It was so egregious a, a conflict with God that he rejected Saul as being king over Israel. That was the last straw. And he rejected him as king because he was trying to step into a messianic role as both king and priest. It is interesting then to note that there were moments where God allowed David glimpses of demonstrating a king acting like a priest. This is what happened when David took on that linen ephod and danced before the ark of God. And God was okay with that. It's interesting that when David needed bread and was hungry, he ate the showbread that was reserved for the priests. And here an anointed king is eating the showbread that was reserved for the priest. But it came from a pure heart. In both instances, it came from a pure heart. In Uzziah's case, it was not a pure heart. He was trying to elevate himself to the position of Christ. In Saul's case, it was not a pure heart. He was trying to elevate himself to the position of Christ. But with David, it was the purity of his worship. With David, it was the purity of his hunger. And God said, now that is a type of Christ. That is a type of Christ. When a king becomes a priest. Hallelujah. Melchizedek was the king of righteousness. 
and he was the king of peace. And he was the priest of the Most High God. Let's consider how great this man was. That Abraham himself paid tithe unto him. This man, hallelujah, and this is where the debate gets thick. Who was he? Well, we know he was a man. We know he was a great man. We cannot affix anything to him beyond what the scriptures say. You know, sometimes when we... You know, the, the deep things are really the simple things. You ever said something so, heard something so profound and you think, oh, wow, that's deep. Woo, that's deep. Really what you're saying is that was so simple. It was hidden in plain sight. You know what makes things in the Bible deep is when we add layer after layer after layer of false teaching and man-made traditions on top of it. And by the time we've had to pull all of those layers off of it, yeah, it's deep. But not because God made it deep, but because man made it deep. It's really simple. We cannot affix anything to this man that the scriptures do not affix to him. He was a great man. He was the king of righteousness. He was the king of peace. He was a, 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 a similitude of Christ. Christ was made after the similitude of Melchizedek, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so he is a forerunner to Christ. He is a type and a shadow of Christ. Hallelujah. But here's where it gets really thick, this question of he is without father. He is without mother and without descent, as I have already expressed that this does not necessarily mean, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying what it does or doesn't mean. I'm saying some have said it means he has no father and no mother and no children and no lineage. But what we do know, what we absolutely 100% do know that it means is that the Bible does not record his father. And the Bible does not record his mother. And the Bible does not record a lineage or descent. So we don't know, we don't know, we, we have no idea where this man came from. We just know he emerges in Genesis 14 verse 18 and Abraham pays tithe of everything he's got. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. He's the priest of the most high God. He blesses Abram and then he fades off the scene. And all of a sudden in Psalm 110 explaining who Messiah is, that he is the Lord, the Lord God who created the heaven and the earth and he is the Lord who takes away our sin. It's one God who is both Father and Son. One God who is both Alpha and Omega. One God who is both Author and Finisher. One God who is both Creator and Redeemer. One God who, hallelujah, is both Shepherd and Lamb. One God. In that same Psalm, the psalmist David said, and he is made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And my question is, what order of Melchizedek? Because we don't have an order of Melchizedek. As you would expect to have an order related to priests. Because when we speak of the order of Levi, which is the law of Moses' priesthood, when we say the Levitical order of priests, or the Aaronic, or Aaronic line, or lineage of Aaron, that's what we're talking about. Lineage. We're talking about lines of people. We're talking about the order of generations. 
We're talking about one priest living and performing his priestly duty and then dying. And then another priest arises in his stead and performs his priestly duty and dying. And another priest arises in his stead and performs his priestly duty and dies. And on and on and on and on the order goes. But with Melchizedek, there was no order. We don't know who his father was. We don't know who his children were. We don't know, we don't know who they were. We don't, the Bible does not record father or mother or descent or where this priesthood came from. You look at the scriptures and everywhere you look, you read those prophets and it tells you this prophet, the son of Joshua, the son of Nun, Zechariah, the son of Edo, Isaiah, the son of Amos, on and on, Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, the high priest. There's always the order provided. Even with Jesus Christ coming into the world, it gave us the lineage of the tribe of Judah that led up to Mary conceiving of the Holy Ghost and bringing forth a son, hallelujah, Emmanuel, God with us. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall take away the sins of his people. But this man, Melchizedek, there, there is no order. And the writer of Hebrews breaks that down for the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people who understood the Levitical line. The Hebrew people who understood the line of Aaron, the priest. These people were, were understanding of the fact that in a priesthood, you've got to have lineage, man. You've got to show pedigree. You've got to show where you came from in order to validate your priesthood. But here, hallelujah, we have a man in the book of Genesis who has no lineage, no order. And Abraham walks up and says, you're the king of righteousness. You're the king of peace. You're the priest of the Most High God. And the writer of Hebrews said, in that same way, Jesus Christ is our priest. And Jesus Christ is our king. He said, it is evident, hallelujah, that Jesus Christ sprang out of the tribe of Judah. And it is far more evident there is nothing in the Bible that gives Judah the right to priesthood according to the law. So here comes Jesus from the tribe of Judah and he is the priest. And he's not from the tribe of Levi. He said the Levitical order, they could not continue by reason of death. They would live their life from age 30 to 50 were their years of priestly responsibilities. After the age of 50, they would keep charge of the temple and the tabernacle. But from 30 to 50, they would perform the priestly responsibilities. And while they performed those priestly responsibilities, they were the priests. But when they died, they could not continue by reason of death. And the writer of Hebrews says that's the difference between those priests and this priest. He has an unchangeable priesthood. He has a priesthood that never dies. You don't have to wonder who's going to take the place of Jesus. Ha! Ah. 
those priests would walk into the holy place one time a year and offer sacrifice as the, for the purpose of atonement. But they would never be able to take away the sins of the people. All the blood of the bulls and all the blood of the goats and all the blood of the calves and all the blood of the lambs. Never were they able to take away the sins of the people. But this man entered once into the holy place. I said he entered one time into the holy place. And when he entered into that holy place, Brother Enos, he was both the priest and the lamb. He was the shepherd and the sheep. He was the king and the priest. He was the door to the sheepfold. He was the scapegoat. He was all in all. He was altogether lovely. He entered one time into the holy place and he took away all sins of all humanity. Uh, who does he think he is? He didn't come from the tribe of Levi. That's what you don't understand. His order of priesthood didn't come from the tribe of Levi. His order of priesthood came from Melchizedek. Or from God, but, but we see a glimpse of it in Melchizedek. Hallelujah. He is made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So it's not that it lacks an order. It's that it's not the same order as the tribe of Levi. The order of Melchizedek is different than the order of Levi. The order of Levi, the order of Aaron, that priesthood is father to son, priest to priest, to priest to priest, to priest to priest. It descended generation after generation after generation. But this man, hallelujah, is alive right now. He rose from the dead. Hallelujah. I want you to know you can take your sin to him right now. You can take that lying. You can take that lust. You can take that rebellion. You can take that hate. You can take that perversion. You can take that adultery. You can take that abomination and lay it upon him right now. He's alive. He's alive. He is not made a priest after the order of Levi. He is made a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So what is that order? It is royal. It is everlasting. Hallelujah. Y'all, I feel the Holy Ghost. I wish I could just shout right now, but I got to preach. So let me just tell you what that order is. We see one order as it relates to Melchizedek and Jesus. And this is that order. He is first the king of righteousness. And after that, the king of peace. He is first the king of righteousness. And after that, 
He is the king of peace. That is the order of Melchizedek. That is how we are introduced to Melchizedek. The Bible said Melchizedek, the king of Salem or the king of peace. That's how we are introduced to him. Our very first introduction to Melchizedek is Melchizedek, king of peace. And the book of Hebrews lets us know that he is first the king of righteousness. And after that, he is the king of peace. That is the order of Melchizedek. Where did he become the king of righteousness? He is the king of righteousness because that's what his name is. His name is king of righteousness. So when the writer of Hebrews said he is first king of righteousness, he was literally saying he is first Melchizedek. And after that, he is king of peace. It is in this order and in no other order that you will be able to experience the peace of God. First righteousness and then peace. First righteousness and then peace. I know the world wants peace. Every president in the 20th century and 21st century has called for world peace. Neville Chamberlain infamously said that the time of peace is upon us. Peace in our time. Every world leader gets up and talks about how we can have world peace. My father was with President George H.W. Bush in the White House, sitting down in a room with him when he said on August 1st, 1991, that we are closer now to world peace following the fall of the Soviet Union than we have ever been in the history of mankind. And the next day, he was awakened by an urgent phone call being let to know that Saddam Hussein had invaded Kuwait and it unleashed a decades long that we're still experiencing war on terror that has continued to trouble the Middle East. This world cannot achieve peace until this world receives righteousness. I know what you want. You want peace in your mind. I know what you want. You want peace in your home. I know what you desire. It's the desire of every human soul to have peace in my life, peace in my relationships, peace in my finances, peace in my troubled mind. But you can't have peace until you have righteousness. First righteousness. And after that, peace. <laughs> Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. He said that, know ye not, know ye not, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If any of these things that I'm about to say apply to any part of your life, you can know it's why you don't have peace. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators. If you've got fornication going on in your life, and that Greek word is porneia, if you want to get rid of the, have peace in your life, you're going to have to walk away from fornication in all forms. 
idolaters. You've got to throw down the idols of your heart. Hallelujah. Adulterers. That's both emotional, physical, spiritual, mental adultery. Effeminate. Men need to be men. And women need to be women. Abusers of themselves with mankind. That is a reference to the sin of homosexuality. Thieves. This means thieving in all forms. Theft in all forms. Cheating and lying. Thieves and covetous. All that envy you may have in your heart. That desire to be and to emulate someone else. Drunkards and revilers and extortioners, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And notice what he said in verse 11. Such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name. Brother Jordan, I want to tell you where that righteousness is. The king of righteousness is in his name. His name. Uh, see, he, when you look at Melchizedek, you're looking at a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. So just as Melchizedek name means king of righteousness, righteousness can only come in the name of Jesus Christ. When the Apostle Paul was looking at the church of Corinth, he was telling them, you need to understand all of these sins. And he goes down a litany. And if any of those things belong in your heart, or if they're resident in your heart, you will not have peace until you repent of that. You can turn on whatever symphony music you want to turn on. Sip whatever sweet tea and chamomile tea you want to sip on. Take whatever drive out into the countryside, scenic tranquility you want to drive out into. Sit on whatever dock of the bay watching the ships go by. You can go up and down whatever main street, whatever country sidewalk you want to go down. But until you get the unrighteousness out of your heart, you won't have peace. You won't have peace. Hey, mom and dad, you need to give your children the gift of a peaceful home. You need to give your children the gift of a peaceful home. You're scaring them half to death and giving them PTSD with all of the fighting and all of the anger. You got to get a grip. And I'm telling you where it starts. First, the king of righteousness. You know why? You know why Paul's listing these things? He wasn't pointing to people outside of the church. He's looking at people inside the church. And he's calling out the sins that are in the church of Corinth. And then he comes to the end and says, such were some of you. Stop being what you used to be. Now you are washed. Now you are sanctified. Now you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. My God, I'm going to tell you, when you got the Holy Ghost, you didn't just come up here and speak a foreign language and walk out unchanged. No, that's the spirit of the living God that got down on the inside of you. And he will work a miracle in your life. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Ah, my God. My God. My God. First righteousness and then peace. Let me tell you that righteousness and peace go together. Psalm 85 and 10. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. He's trying to tell you that this is a match made in heaven. Woo! My God, if you let righteousness get a hold of you, peace is drawn to righteousness. Peace and righteousness were made for each other. When righteousness rules your home, notice Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 17. It says, the work of righteousness shall be peace and the effect, oh hallelujah, the effect of righteousness shall be quietness and it shall be assurance forever. And verse 18, and my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. This is why there are times, there are times. When you feel something ungodly in your house, you know that's not supposed to be here. Somebody welcome that in. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And, 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 and you don't even, may not even know who did it or where it came from. But you'd better establish a place of righteousness. I'm going to tell you, one of, the, one, of the, one of the detriments to the people of God is streaming content. It's just streaming from hell into our living rooms. And we don't even know what's on it and what's coming up next. And you just, you just, you better have some controls on that stuff. Hallelujah. I'm talking about righteous living hallelujah I'm talking about a people of righteousness and I'm not talking about self-righteousness I'm not talking about looking down your nose at anybody else you've heard me say it before the Bible doesn't even talk about self-righteousness there's righteousness and there's unrighteousness and no in between self-righteousness is what we what we call it so we can pretty up unrighteousness we can give it a little religious designation. Well, it's not unrighteousness. It's just self-righteousness. There is no self-righteousness. Righteousness is in his name. Let me tell you how you become righteous. Let me tell you. Because you can try and you will fail. I'm going to tell you exactly how you become righteous. You repent of your sins. Walk away from them. Walk away. I'm not saying just be sorry for them. Walk away from your sins. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Woo, hallelujah. Because inside that name, he is the king of righteousness. Inside that name, he is the king of holiness. Inside that name, Brother Sizemore, I can't do it by myself. I've tried to be righteous on my own, and I fail miserably. I mess up every time. I end up, listen, I end up making a little progress, and I get real proud of how righteous I am. And I start looking at everybody else who needs to shape up or ship out. 
And that's not how it works. No, I have to understand that it's not my righteousness. It's his righteousness. And when I was buried in his name, he put his righteousness on top of me. And I'd better walk humbly before my God, knowing that it's not by my might and it's not by my power, but it's by his spirit, saith the Lord. I'm washed in the name of Jesus. I'm justified in the name of Jesus. I'm sanctified in the name of Jesus. I'm righteous in the name of Jesus. Oh, let me tell you how it goes. Here's the order. Are you ready? Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We have no order of Melchizedek. No, or there's no father that's mentioned. There's no descent that's mentioned. We have no, no order other than this order. First, the king of righteousness. And after that, the king of peace. If you'll let Jesus be the king of righteousness, he will be your king of peace. Somebody lift your hands to him right now. This is what Paul meant when he wrote to the church at Rome and said the kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's in that order, righteousness and peace and joy. Hallelujah. Righteousness plus peace equals joy. Woo, hallelujah. I feel like there's a revival of righteousness coming upon the church. I feel like there's a revival of righteousness coming upon the church. You can stand with me, but I want to tell you one more thing. I want to tell you one more thing before I, before I close out and we've come to the altar. I, you know what? We're, all, all, we're always worried about the next generation. We are, aren't we? Aren't we always concerned about the next generation? I know I always am. But let me tell you, let me tell you something about this generation. They are tired of sin. Sick of it. They've watched their parents suffer from it. They've watched their grandparents suffer from it. They've been victimized by it. They've watched their mom and their dad fight because of it. They've watched violence in neighborhoods because of sin. They're sick of sin. Church, this isn't the time to stop preaching against sin. I'm telling you, this, this is a revival generation. This is a revival generation. This is a revival of generation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. First righteousness, then peace. First righteousness, then peace. First righteousness, then peace. Hallelujah. I don't, I don't want us just to come in here and have a good time of church and walk out feeling better about ourselves. I want us to really come out to this place and pour any unrighteousness that's in our hearts out upon an old-fashioned altar and say, God, if there's anything in me, oh God, if there's anything in me, if there's any adultery in your heart, you need to pour it out. If there's any perversion in your mind, you need to pour it out. If there's any lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, or pride of life inside of you, you got to pour it out. If there's any covetousness or envy, hallelujah, or rebellion, or resentment. Pour it out. Repent from it. 
And let the king of righteousness place his name upon you. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. You know what's really cool about this whole thing concerning kings and priests? It's that in his kingdom we shall reign with him. As kings and priests. That's going to be us filling both roles in our sanctified state. Glorified body. Glorified body. Glorified body. Hallelujah. I want somebody who's yearning for the righteousness of God right now just to, just to give him a wave offering right now. Come on, that's it. That's it. Just lift up your hands to him and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. I need somebody right now to, to come to the front of this house and just say, I want righteousness in my heart. God bless you. That's it. I want righteousness in my heart. I want peace in my home. I want peace in my mind. Come on, that's it. That's it. That's it. God's going to make you a peacemaker. God's going to make you a peacemaker. Hallelujah. But it's going to start with righteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. That's the order. That's the order of Christ. That's the order of Christ. First righteousness and then peace. First righteousness and then peace. Come on, that's it. That's it. Lord, forgive me of all my sin. Cleanse me of all iniquity. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Lord, purge me of any arrogance. Purify me, Lord, of any arrogance. Purify me, Lord, of any envy. Purify me, O oh God, of any strife, any aught that I have in my heart. Oh, God, I want to be holy before you. I want to be righteous before you, O oh God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's going to come through the blood of Jesus. It's going to come through the blood of Jesus. Listen, I need you to hold on for just a second. I need you to hold on for just a second. We're about to sing, but you've got to hear me. Do you know how important righteousness is? God told Abraham. Abraham understood how important righteousness was. He believed in God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He knew that when he went to God to spare the cities of Sodom, that all he had to do was say, if I could find some righteous folk. He didn't say if I can find a bunch of people that are, that are talented. If I, if I find people with ability, will you spare the city? If I find a, a bunch of priests in the city. No, he said righteousness. Because he knows if there's righteousness, there'll be peace. And God said if you can find 50 righteous, I'll bring peace to those cities and not judgment. He said, what about 45? 45 righteous, 40 righteous, 30 righteous, 20 righteous. He said, if you can find 10 righteous, I will give peace to those whole cities. That's how powerful righteousness is. If you can be righteous before God, he will give you peace in the midst of the storm. And what you have to understand is that righteousness cannot come from within you. It has to come from Him. Hallelujah. But that doesn't mean that because He did it, you don't have to. It means that because He did it, you can. 
we rebuke this false grace that says Jesus did it all and now we don't have to live a righteous life. That is false. That's heresy. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No, Jesus did it. Not so we don't have to, but so we are able and empowered to be righteous. He's going to give you victory over the alcohol. He's going to give you victory over the lust. He's going to give you victory over that sinful habit. He's going to give you victory over that anger issue. He's going to give you victory over that wrath you have in your heart. God is going to give you peace. Come on, lift up your hands and your voices and say, Lord, make me right. Righteousness, righteousness. Righteousness is what I need. Righteousness is what I need. My God, come on, God wants to give you peace right now. God wants to give you peace right now. God wants to give you peace right now. Righteousness, 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 what I 